Welcome back to another episode of Porkins Policy Radio. As always, I am your host, Pierce Redman, and you can find this show here at American Freedom Radio, AmericanFreedomRadio.com. And, of course, you can always find it on my website, which is PorkinsPolicyReview.com. And if you are new to the show, there are, of course, lots of ways to listen. You can download it directly from my website. You can uh, check out the AFR archives. I'm on YouTube, TuneIn, Stitcher, um, and iTunes as well. Uh, and uh, quickly, I just want to thank the talented and beautiful Amy Lawless for recently becoming a subscriber of mine on Patreon. And uh, I will have the new uh, bonus podcast will be posted probably tomorrow. Uh, and I just wanted to encourage people to go and check out Amy's new book, which is Broad Axe. Uh, and you can find that on Amazon and Octopus, uh, octopusbookbooks.net. Uh, and, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it is a poetry, or a book of poetry, which I know I don't cover much on the, on the, on the show, uh, but I think, uh, actually a lot of the listeners would get a lot out of it. It's a really excellent book. Um, there's a, a whole section about, uh, Timothy McVeigh and the OKC bombing, uh, and Amy also talks about, uh, one of my favorite writers, Yukio Mishima, uh, who I probably will be doing something on in the near future on the bonus podcast. So, uh, definitely check that out. And of course, if you want to support my work, you can sign up to Patreon for as little as a dollar a month and you get access to the bonus podcast. But, uh, we are welcoming back on, uh, frequent guest, um, my very good friend, Tom Secker, of course, the man behind spyculture.com and the excellent must listen podcast clandestine. But I mean, I'm sure everyone, uh, should know who Tom Secker is, but, uh, Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Pierce. Thanks for having me back. And what was this Mighty Ducks drinking marathon that you were doing the other day? <laughs> so, um, this is, this is, there's a, a little, uh, personal information. Um, my, uh, my very good friend, um, uh, I, I, maybe I won't name them, but two of my very good friends, um, they were celebrating, uh, their five year anniversary. Well, I'll say it's, it's my friend Matt and Tyla, uh, were celebrating their five year anniversary. And like, so five years ago to the day, um, when they first sort of got together, the three of us um, had done a drinking Mighty Ducks marathon uh, together. Um, and um, subsequently, um, on their anniversary, they, you know, they, they have people over, not all the time, but, you know, they, this time they had a bunch of people over. And uh, we just got pretty hammered and ate a lot of food. And we watched all three of the Mighty Ducks movies. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm a huge fan of uh, Mighty Ducks. I would say D2 is probably my favorite uh, followed by the first one and then the third one. Um, so uh, maybe maybe sometime in the future uh, we can do a um, uh, a show on Mighty Ducks because there's a there's a lot to to get into with that. Um, and just as a side note, of course, uh, the uh, young Emilio Estevez is portrayed in the movie uh, by uh, none other than uh, Brock Pierce, 
who is a Bitcoin entrepreneur, but he is also uh, pretty famous for being involved in um, uh, with Brian Singer uh, and a bunch of uh, Hollywood pedophiles. And um, he was one of the people that uh, put a lot of money into uh, this company, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was like a an entertainment company on the face of it. But they were also peddling uh, child pornography and uh, they were hooked up with Brian Singer. Uh, and famously, um, uh, David Geffen, the uh, music producer. So, so there's, uh, there's, uh, my, my, my two cents on Mighty Ducks and, uh, and why we should talk about it on a future episode. Um, and I guess it's, it's kind of fitting, um, of course, because, uh, today, Tom, we're going to be talking about Hollywood, uh, yet again. You and I always, uh, interested and have our ear to the ground on what's going on with Hollywood and particularly the influence that uh, various government agencies have in Hollywood and culture. And today we're going to be talking about a, a little known sort of pseudo government agency known as the Science and Entertainment Exchange or SEEKS, uh, which has consulted on over 1300 films and TV shows in less than 10 years. And arguably they have kind of taken the lead uh, in terms of the the uh, government influence in Hollywood, and I think we'll we'll explain a little bit about that later. Um, but of course, Tom, you did an excellent podcast that we'll link up to in the show notes, talking about Sikhs. Uh, and um, but I guess before we kind of get into that, um, explain a little bit what is Sikhs and and its connection to the uh, National Academy of Sciences, and uh, and and what's what's going on with Sikhs right now. Okay, so they're uh, an entertainment liaison office, in effect. They don't call themselves that, but that's what they are. That's what the Science and Entertainment Exchange is. It's a kind of Hollywood liaison and outreach program set up by the National Academy of Sciences, who are, to be sure, a non-governmental agency. But the problem is they get most of their funding from the government and their primary role, apart from being like an honorific society who give awards and whatever, um, their primary activity is actually writing advisory reports for the government. And if you watch some of the presentations that uh, Anne Merchant, is that her name? Um, she's like the, I think, the press director of, of the National Academy of Sciences. She like the, is the overviewer of Sikhs. Uh, she says, well, we're supposed to be a sort of non-partisan and non-advisory and all the rest of it, but she says she doesn't actually believe that because, of course, they do make recommendations, they are advocating for certain things, and therefore the whole notion of them being non-partisan, non-advocacy is nonsense. She admits that herself. So you're left with this rather ambiguous organization, and what are they doing in Hollywood? What's the purpose of this? So in 2007-2008, they set up the Science and Entertainment Exchange, like I say, their entertainment liaison office in Hollywood. And this is, just like with the Pentagon, they say, oh, this is just some, you know, little thing that is run only by a few people, and, and we don't really have that much of an influence on anything, and we're primarily concerned with, you know, just getting accuracy in there. We just want more accurate science in Hollywood films, which on the face of it is ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> when, was the, when was the last time you saw a Hollywood film that actually embraced accurate science? It doesn't happen. That's not no, what Hollywood's no, no, no. about. They're not, they create fantasies. That's their whole job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and fair enough. You know, that we're not, we shouldn't be looking at Hollywood saying, oh, why isn't your science accurate? Why isn't your this and that accurate? That's not really what they're about. 
And yet this seems to be the excuse that CIA, NASA, Homeland Security, the Pentagon, and now the National Academy of Sciences are using as their excuse for getting their foot into the door in Hollywood and trying to get some influence on these scripts and stories and screenplays and so on. And so that's who Sikhs are. I mean, I kind of came up with the word Sikhs. Um, oh, is that not they, really the official... Uh... Well, well, they abbreviate Science and Entertainment Exchange to S-E-E-X, mm. but they they never call it Sikhs. That's just kind of like, how else would you pronounce that? Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's difficult to just say the Science and Entertainment Exchange every single time because it's a bit of a mouthful. So yeah. that's, yeah. Well, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll call it Sikhs. Um, Tom, I mentioned before that there, there's sort of like a, an extension of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, and what is the National Academy of Sciences? Because they're, I guess, sort of like Sikhs, they maintain that they are a nonprofit uh, private NGO, yet the National Academy of Sciences and Sikhs uh, get most of their money from the government, correct? Yeah, about like 70% comes from the U.S. Congress because they are, in effect, a government advisory scientific body. So how exactly they're supposed to be an NGO? It's, it's sort of like, yeah, but you wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the government. So how right. does that make you an NGO? Um, yes. Uh, and then, of course, they also just take money from, you know, foundations. Um, I think the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, uh, which has been around mm-hmm. forever, and, and, of course, big corporations. So, again, even if it's not quite the government per se, you know, they're all government-friendly organizations that are uh, uh, giving money to them. Um, and as uh, as I was saying, and as you uh, lay out in, um, I think it's episode 131 of Clandestime, they've uh, they've consulted on 1,300 films and TV shows uh, in a short amount of time. They've only been around for a few years officially. Uh, and now, if you if you take them at face value, like if you listen to Ann Merchant or uh, Rick Lovard, who's the I guess the CEO or the head of of Seeks, um, yeah, he's the they, guy who's actually sort of running it on the ground. Yeah. Mm. They maintain that, uh, you know, they don't really have any control over what goes into the scripts and, and things like that. Um, and I guess this would sort of set them apart from, from say, the CIA or the Pentagon, uh, which certainly has massive control over scripts. And as you and I have uh, laid out on many shows before, I mean, sometimes you've got the CIA, you know, the CIA writing scripts uh, for mm-hmm. movies. Um, you know, of course, Chase Brandon. Uh, you know, our favorite uh, entertainment liaison officer uh, most likely wrote The Recruit. Uh, there's numerous examples of the Pentagon rewriting stuff. Is is it fair to say that um, uh, Seeks is, is, is totally accurate uh, when they say that they don't get involved in script rewrites and things like that? Um, because, again, a cursory glance of if you listen to them Ann Merchant, Rick Lovard, that doesn't quite seem to be the case. So um, is that accurate? Well, I mean, you have to kind of wonder if they aren't having any influence on the scripts, then what's the point? Yeah. Why are they bothering to do all this? Why have they provided 1,300 consultations in the last decade? I mean, they only founded themselves in properly in 2008. They've existed for less than 10 years. So the fact that they've been... They've worked on so many different things. Okay, some of that will be relatively benign and trivial stuff, I'm sure. I'm not saying all 1,300 of those had kind of major script changes. Uh, perpetrated by Sikhs, but they they say, you know, we're just a sort of 
link up organization that they they offer a free service they have a phone number and a website and everything and hollywood producers get in touch and say we'd like to talk to a scientist about or we're making a film about this and we'd like to talk to some scientific experts in relevant fields who have you got and seeks will go and find them some cons uh, some consultants and some advisors to go and talk to about various different things and some of that ends up in the script and some of that doesn't but when you listen very closely, in particular to what Rick Lovett has said on a few different occasions, mm. he, he's kind of made it clear that they are very much trying to get these writers to write stuff they want them to, but they don't have any real power over them like the Pentagon does. They don't sign contracts with these people, nailing them down to a certain version of the script and so on. It's not like that, but nonetheless, they have managed to make some relatively significant changes to major movies that we know about and also just that their approach to this and the comments they make about how and what they've influenced in these scripts doesn't in any way match up with their stated mission of trying to get more accurate science into movies and also trying to sort of promote scientific careers in general that a lot of the time that's not really what it's about it's more about um well a variety of different consequences um, and therefore, motives seem to emerge for exactly why they exist and what they're doing. And we shouldn't overlook their relationship with the Pentagon. That's the other thing that really bothered me, is that when I learned about them, I thought, okay, they're just some, basically a bunch of nerds promoting science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Okay, if, I mean, that's an agenda in Hollywood, and it's worth paying attention to that, but it's not of massive consequence unless they're doing something more nefarious. And then I started going through all these different presentations that members of Seeks have given and also the Entertainment Liaison Office reports that I've got under Freedom of Information requests. And Seeks turn up quite a lot. And it seems that they've, more than any other organization in Hollywood, they've really nailed the ability to get high-ranking people, big producers and writers and people from... CAA and William Morris Endeavour and so on, get them in a room, get scientists in there and get them talking about, okay, well, can we do a movie about this? Or, you know, what about this idea in a movie or a TV series? And that they're very, very good at networking, basically. And when you look at Rick Lover, do you think, yeah, he probably would be pretty good at that. He's quite an affable guy. He seems quite well presented and well spoken. I can see why people get along with him. I can see why he's been able to get his foot in the door so much. And it seems the Pentagon have noticed this and gone, oh, we could use this. We could make use of this organization that's supposedly a non-governmental organization's entertainment liaison office. So now you have Sikhs helping the military arrange tours of military bases and Navy submarines and all sorts for, again, high-ranking producers and writers and all the rest of it in order to try and pitch them ideas, in order to try and as Rick Lovett puts it, get them to write for us. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we know from a lot of these military reports, you know, this is something the Pentagon have been trying to do more of in recent years. They've really got on the, you know, what kind of outreach opportunities are there? How do we get to talk to more people? How do we get more of our agenda into these scripts at an earlier stage? This is very much something they're focused on. And lo and behold, Lance and Entertainment Exchange turn up on the scene proving very, very adept at this whole, you know, Hollywood socializing and networking thing. And, you know, you've got even 
I think it was even the head of the army, the chief of the army, was meeting with people from Sikhs, or at least mm-hmm. being told about them. And he was saying, you know, these are this is an organisation we should be getting more involved with. These seem, you know, they seem like they're they're a good bunch that we can use. So that's where you really start to see, I think, some of the more nefarious, more ugly side of this organisation that otherwise, like I say, appears sort of quite pleasant and benign on the face of it. Their logo and everything, you know, the way that they pitch themselves is so kind of, oh, we're just sort of, you know, nice, happy bunch of scientists who want to get a bit more good science into movies. That's all we're really about. Mm. But there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, and like, you know, they, uh, one of the presentations that, uh, you, um, you take some clips from, uh, on the, uh, on the podcast with, uh, Rick Lovard, you know, he, he mentions, for instance, uh, you know, uh, uh, when he's sort of talking about, you know, yeah, like you said, the sort of benign organization, you know, our, our number is, uh, 844 need sci. That's like their, you know, so you could just call them up, um, and, and ask them, uh, you know, questions and, you know, they're, they're just sort of uh, out there and they, they run these, um, they call them salons throughout Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, where basically what it, it's, they go to like a celebrity's house, like Seth MacFarlane or, uh, so, you know, some big, big time producer and there might be like 50 or 60 people and they give like a presentation. Uh, and you know, Ann Merchant is always sort of talking about, you know, they're, you know, we take these cool hip, you know, astrophysicists and, you know, and you get to have wine and, uh, network and, uh, you know, and you ask questions and our Q and A's are always, they always go on for hours and hours. And, um, this seems to be one of their, their major approaches, at least in terms of getting these people, um, interested in Sikhs. But as you say, there, there does seem to be a more nefarious or sinister, um, reason uh or, or, or objective with Sikhs and certainly uh their promotion of the Pentagon is quite unnerving. Uh and it's weird the way Lick, uh, Rick Lovard kind of talks about that because he doesn't he doesn't, you know, come out and say, you know, we're working with the you know, he just oh well, yeah, we you know, we consult a lot with the military or we have a good working relationship with the military. But again, I'm not quite sure um, you know, what is Sikhs doing organizing uh, these like all access tours for Hollywood bigwig, bigwigs to go to some secret Air Force base like out in Alaska somewhere. You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what the hell is the science behind that? You know, how, how, <laughs> how to bomb people better? You know, uh, they, they get to show off precision guided laser mounted missiles or something. Um, and just quickly on the sort of, oh, we don't rewrite scripts. I mean, it's funny to to hear Rick Lovard talk about this, and then like a few minutes later in this presentation, he talks about the fact that Sikhs changed Natalie Portman's character in the Thor movies from a nurse to an astrophysicist. Yeah. So I mean, you know, and and then Sikhs went they orchestrated this uh, I guess with Disney this whole campaign around Natalie Portman and trying you know. You can be, you know, just like Natalie Portman and, you know, you can be pretty and become an astrophysicist and don't, you know, the impl- I guess one of the implications of this and the implied idea is, you know, don't be a nurse, um, you know, be- become an astrophysicist because that's way more important. Um, you know, well, I, well, as Rick Lovett tells the story, because um, some people might look at that and think, oh, well, that's a fairly trivial change. But think of it like this. In the original comic books, that character is a nurse and there is no problem with that as far as the story is concerned in the comic books. So why even bother to change it? 
And it seems to have come about when they were saying, oh, well, yeah, but what would she be doing out in the middle of the desert when Thor arrives from Asgard, from the other realm? And it's like, well, who cares? She's yeah. on her way home from a party. She's yeah. on her way home Vacation. from work. She's, she's a nurse going to work on a night shift. Any number of reasons. I mean, come on, you're Hollywood writers. Surely you can come up with this stuff. <laughs> yes. But no, no, Seek's got in there and say, oh, yeah, but what, what if we make her an astrophysicist? Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? And what what if she then starts giving this lecture about astrophysics in the middle of this comic book story about Thor? <laughs> and you start to think, do they even care about, like, making an entertaining movie, for example? Mm. Or is it just about, oh, we, 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 let's try and force some of this stuff in there, because that's what we want to see in this movie. We want to see... Well, we want these people to hear this stuff. And also, like you say, then they followed up with Disney, and they've done this a couple of times with different movies, where Disney, the Science and Entertainment Exchange, and Marvel have essentially joined forces to try and promote science, technology, education, and mathematics careers, STEM careers, primarily to young women or, you know, teenage girls, essentially, and say, you know, wouldn't you want to be like this? Wouldn't you want to be, you know, a, a glamorous, rich, beautiful astrophysicist? <laughs> yeah, um, there's so many of them out there. Yeah, yeah, because that's such a sort of realistic aim for so many people, isn't it? <laughs> that's sort of, you, you know, because that's really the barrier to, to young women entering into science careers, is that there aren't enough astrophysicists played by Natalie Portman in Thor movies. <laughs> I mean, on what planet are these people living on? They're, they're living on, you know, Hollywood, liberal, do-good, elitist planet where they're completely detached from reality and why it is that actually so many young girls don't become astrophysicists. <laughs> did they ever actually stop and ask that question or did they just say, oh, well, we want to try and magically make this happen, so let's stick it in a Thor movie? Um, and, and, yeah, like you say, my problem with this, well, my big problem with this is what's wrong with being a nurse? Isn't that yeah. quite a good career to be promoting to young women? Is to say, you know, it's a responsible career that requires an education and proper training. It, okay, isn't particularly well paid given the actual nature of the work. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, it's a respectable career. It's a very respectable career because it's actually an important job. A more important job than being an astrophysicist, mm. I, <laughs> I care yeah. to say. Um Oh, I was so, I was sort of oh. thinking in my no, I was just in my head, you know, like you're you're on a plane and you know it's it, I don't know someone keels over, you know, and uh, is, is there a doctor here or a nurse? I mean, you know, uh, but no one's like, oh, sh you know, this guy just had a heart attack. Is there an astrophysicist on the plane that can explain? Yeah, there's not, you know, there's string not like theory emergencies in astrophysics, are there? Yeah. Um. <laughs> not a lot of lives getting saved there, whereas nurses actually save lives all the time. Yeah, constantly. That's their job. Yeah. I just felt that whole that whole thing. You know, it smacks again of, like I say, that sort of elitist liberal attitude of, well, you're kind of quasi-feminist, aren't you? You don't mm. really believe in valuing women for the things that they offer the world. You just want to kind of tell them what to do, mm. <laughs> um, which, to my mind, isn't deep down very feministic. So they're kind of hypocrites who are full of crap. Well, and and on on that line of being kind of hypocrites and and uh, you know faux uh, feminists or whatnot, um, there's like this weird weird undercurrent too. Um, you know, Anne Merchant kind of uh, had some sort of nasty comments about uh, the the um, portrayal of scientists, you know, that we see in pop culture and Hollywood films, and you know, she states like explicitly. That, you know, one of the goals of Sikhs is to, um, to make sure 
that uh, there are no scientists that are portrayed as dorky or, uh, you know, people with, uh, living with Asperger's or autistic, you know, with their pants up high. You know, basically, no, we want Natalie Portman. We want, you know, hot models, um, you know, that are working out and, you know, they go surfing on the weekend. Those are the scientists that we're trying to appeal to. And again, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, I guess. But, you know, it's also kind of a slap in the face to all the dorky scientists out there who, who may have Asperger's or may not. Um, you know, I mean, no offense, but, uh, you know, that, that generally happens to be who science, I mean, you know, my, my <laughs> aunt is a scientist and, um, you know, uh, she, she, she doesn't look like Natalie Portman, you know, I mean, she, she doesn't act like that. Most of her friends that are scientists aren't like that. You know what I mean? It's not to say that they're all like dorks and, you know, nerds and, uh, you know, they, they can't yeah, no, uh, sure, but... communicate socially, but it's just, it's the reality of it. You know what I mean? Um, well, and tall guys encourage... play basketball, you know, big guys <laughs> play football. That's just, that's how it is, you know, <laughs> people who can run fast quite often do well at that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. It's, it's just like, you know, horses for courses, really. Mm. But, and, and you have to wonder, what kind of message are they actually sending to the kids who are thinking about becoming scientists? Because a lot of them are awkward, insecure teenagers, right? At yeah. least their target market in terms of the sorts of films that they work on, most of these are aimed at teenagers. Well, most teenagers don't want to think that in order to be the thing that they're trying to become in life, you have to be beautiful and glamorous and rich and all the rest of it. You don't have to be Kate Winslet in Contagion. You can actually be completely ordinary looking or even quite ugly and still be a very good scientist. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not really about that. And yet, as per usual, they sort of this organization have gone out to Hollywood and they've got caught up in the Hollywood bubble. They They've sort of lost their grip on reality and moved into this Hollywood bubble world where everything is unreal fantasy. And they think, oh, well, how, you know, imagine if it was like this. Imagine if scientists were like that. Let's let's put that into a film. What? That doesn't, that does absolutely nothing in terms of actually promoting real scientific careers to real kids watching these movies. If anything, it's counterproductive. And yet, and it's like, who's, who's overseeing this? Who's responsible for this? Who's judging whether this is effective or are they just really enjoying hobnobbing with Hollywood bigwigs and, you know, flashing around in the entertainment industry thinking that they're doing good when in fact they're not? Um, it, it bothers me because, again, it smacks of a, a set of values that are detached and unrealistic and are being implemented in a top-down way by a bunch of people who've never really had to, you know, live and work in the real world, don't really know what real people are like, and from what I can tell, don't seem to actually value real scientists that much. And okay, there's plenty of scientists out there doing things that I'm pretty sceptical of, to be honest, but, you know, that's not their approach, that's not what they're saying, that's, you know, they're not coming from the same place I am. But at the same time, I respect there's quite a lot of scientists out there doing all kinds of useful things. So why not maybe try and incorporate a bit more of that into scripts rather than this nonsense with, like, Natalie Portman? Mm. I mean, isn't that what they said their stated mission was? Mm. Well, and, and then, it, it, you know, it kind of brings you to this uh, this point where you're like, are you pr- actually promoting science or are you just promoting scientists or this 
idealized version of uh, what a scientist is. Because there's also just some dumb questions that, you know, seeks, uh, seems to be concerned with. I mean, you, you point out on the episode, I mean, there's this thing with Watchmen where they're like, well, why is, uh, Mr. Manhattan or something, you know, why is he blue? And, you know, they, they sent some, astrophysicist there to to explain why this guy was he's blue because he's an alien you know i mean we we were talking offline i mean you, you said why is the hulk green um who cares you know, right exactly who who really cares um he, he, he's a green rage monster smashing some stuff yeah that's that's your film you know mm-hmm. that that's what you're trying to make here and if you do that people will be happy that's sort of why make it any more complicated than that but no it's sort of Oh, we've got to try and incorporate some, not science, but pseudoscience into this. Because what they, what Anne Merchant actually said was that this, you know, the consultant went and spoke to the filmmakers and they were like, Oh, well, if the rules of physics were like this in your comic book universe, then he could be blue for this reason. Yeah. What does that do to promote accurate science or scientific careers? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's not science. It, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a romanticized, idealized version of science and scientists. It is ultimately science fiction that they're promoting. And this is what I mean. Again, they, they went out to Hollywood, they got caught up in that bubble, and they found themselves promoting science fiction instead of science fact, which mm. does absolutely nothing to um, protect the reputation of science and scientists or encourage people to go into those careers. In fact, it makes it look like, well, unless you're going to do something magical like turn people's skin blue (laughs) you know cure aids or something all while having perfect hair then Mm. what's the point why bother being a scientist if unless you think you're capable of doing these incredible wonderful amazing outrageous things then when in reality a lot of science is quite sort of tedious and procedural and takes a long time and quite a lot of patience and persistence to get anywhere but none of that. You could spend your life and never actually, uh, you know, not not make, not make the not accomplish that you're trying exactly. to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of scientists out there trying to cure cancer that, you know, they're going to die well before that happens. Um, they're going to die of cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, right. I mean, it's just the reality <laughs> sorry, of the dark joke. But. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's true. I mean, that's just the reality of the world we live. In. Again, it's it's oh, there's almost like that this sort of like hyper reality going on here where, you know, there seeks is, you know, they're sort of taking us out of the reality of the world we live in and kind of presenting us with this Hollywood sexed up version of reality and a, and a, and a sexed up version of like what it means to be a scientist. Uh, and that's not in ta- you know, that's kind of a disturbing idea. Um, you know, why, why would someone even want to do that? Why would you want to, um, uh, present people with this false sense of reality um when you know as you said i mean it's dark but you know this is the world this is reality um we should accept it and it i normally you know i I think that that's why hollywood films are are fun you know they are an escape but it's it's one thing to make a hollywood film that's an escape and it's another thing to make it an escape but sort of hang this idea out there that like well this could be your life you know 
even though it's not. You know, I mean, it, I'm sure it's wonderful to be one of these Sikhs consultants. You get to fly around, uh, you know, L.A. And, and New York and other places. You get to go to celebrities' houses. Uh, I'm sure they're paid relatively well to consult on these movies. And they live in a complete bubble, as you said. But that's not real. That's that's not actually the life of like a dorky scientist um, who reads comic books. You know, that's just and moving on a little bit to some of the more sort of like darker stuff. Talk about um, Esri and, and Covert Affairs, um, because oh, this yeah. was like I, I mean, first off, Covert Affairs. I think you, you described it as a low rent knockoff of Homeland. Um, and that is entirely true. You know, down to the main character is blonde, just like Carrie. Um, and it is like a garbage show. But um, I mean, this was sort of one of these weird things where it's like, I'm sorry, is Seeks just totally benign? Um, I mean, explain their relationship with this particular episode of Covert Affairs. OK, so I mean, this goes back to your question before of why would why are they doing this, given that they're obvious overt reasons for doing it, aren't there real reasons and it seems to be not just to promote, as we were just saying, this romanticized version of science and scientists, but whether consciously or not, to promote technocracy, political technocracy, and the authority of science in that sense, uh, both in terms of the military, you know, showing off the fantastic next generation military hardware that means that we can deal with any whatever that comes our way. But as you mentioned with Esri, also the surveillance state the NSA and CIA side of technocracy in that, um, okay, so this was at one of their salon meetings in some mansion in the Hollywood Hills. One of the things that seems to have come out of this was that, I can't remember the exact details now, is that, anyway, the producer of Covert Affairs crowbarred in a reference to Esri, this surveillance technology firm, into an episode of Covert Affairs in order to effectively promote them. Mm. And you think, again, is that about promoting science? No, not really. Is that pro about promoting scientific careers? No. Is that about promoting a technocratic society? Yep, sounds mm. like it. Which isn't what they said they're doing. This is supposed to be a non-political, non-governmental organization. And yet, they're promoting a political narrative that you know superior technology makes us a superior nation and means we can be build a better society and so on well that's a, a, a lot bigger an idea and a much more propagandistic idea and one that we should be pretty skeptical about in my opinion than they claim to be promoting and so in this episode of covert affairs there's basically some people some guys gone missing someone's been murdered yeah i can't yeah. even remember exactly it doesn't really matter yeah, no, um, it's garbage, and, and yeah. And there's a, a a line where one of the CIA officers says, you know, he was using this technology from Esri, which is this very complex, like, landscape mapping. You use satellite photography and GPS, and you figure out wind patterns and so on in order to try and think, well, if something, you know, if a balloon went up here, where might it have landed, for example? You could use it for that. Um, it's pretty complex stuff, I'm guessing, or at least from what I've read about it. And I don't know if the CIA actually used this. Does it even matter? Um, but I do know that Esri did merge with a company that was founded by Incutel. 
Mm-hmm. So, so they have their own little CIA connection. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if they were contracted to the CIA for some things, since this is the sort of software and technology that CIA would want to use. Uh, certainly the NSA and military intelligence, one would assume it would be even more valuable. I mean, if you're planning a you know, military operation on the ground, then being able to model short-term weather conditions and so on in a particular area, very, very useful. So that's who Esri are. And, yeah, Covert Affairs is another CIA-sponsored show. Now, obviously, Rick Lover didn't mention any of that, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you, you've got to wonder, does he know this? Doesn't he know this? Is he doing this consciously? Or is it just that, because that's the world that they've come from, that they think technocracy, they actually just believe in that. So they end up promoting it almost by default. Um, and just like I say, so very, very different from their stated mission and where they started. And, yeah, I'm not actually recommending anyone goes and watches Covert Affairs. It's a <laughs> miserably poor show. It really yeah. is poor. But... Like you say, very you know heavily CIA sponsored. So mm. no, and and again, it, it's you know j- just to to reiterate what you're saying there, you've got Sikhs saying to the writer producer of Covert Affairs that they should mention Esri. Uh, so again, Sikhs is telling a CIA sponsored show that they should insert a, a one one little line about Esri. Uh, a firm that on some level is has some tangential, if not pretty solid connection to the CIA or certainly to InQtel. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is like it, I'm sorry, this is really about, um, you know, making sure that uh, young girls from the inner city become scientists. Or is this, you know, one big kind of, you know, everyone patting each other on the back? And, yeah, it's uh, kind and, of a circle just, jerk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, is that really what's what's happening here? Um, and also just, I mean, again, on the, this sort of like technocracy and uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, and this sort of, you know, terrifying science. Um, th- there's also uh, who's this? Uh, what's her name? Uh, Alicia Jackson, um, who's a former DARPA employee uh, yeah. who gave a. A talk at uh, some it was like a Sikh slash like Marvel, I don't know, conference or, you know, sort of convention. Um, and, you know, again, I encourage people to to check out uh, Tom's uh, the video podcast uh, for this episode, because Alicia Jackson kind of like I think there's they're sort of like pushing her to be like the like she has a leather jacket. You know, she looks like an idiot, um, you know, and it's obviously <laughs> not so that uncomfortable. cool. Yeah, she looks exactly. So uncomfortable in that outfit, doesn't she? Totally, she obviously totally. doesn't dress like that. No, but they're definitely like pushing. You know, she's got some like cool jewelry on and whatnot. But yeah, she looks. You know, she looks like she'd be more comfortable. You know, in a white lab coat, but, uh, like uh, lab coat and maybe some thick glasses. But instead, they've got her in like a you know cool leather jacket, and you know she looks very stylish. But um, this to me again was just this like weird. Uh, you know, it, it's it's fine if you want to promote science. I'm even kind of fine if you want to support, you know, promote, you know, the, the military's, uh, you know, I mean, fine. I mean, I, I understand, you know, that that's just a thing. But to sort of use the cover of like Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. and, that you know, science, you know, we're all good. And then, I mean, explain Alicia Jackson. I mean, she 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 worked for DARPA um, and she runs a pretty horrifying um, she, or she's the CTO of Drawbridge Health, which is like 
a pretty scary transhumanist organization. I mean, just explain this, because this one to me was like even worse than the Esri uh, sort of stuff. Mm, mm. Well, I mean, that's partly why I left it to the end of the podcast, because in my searching around on this, that, that was possibly the most kind of weird, chilling <laughs> yeah. thing. That, and, and no one's watched this. You look up this video on YouTube, it's been watched by like 200 people. Right, of um, course. <laughs> and so it kind of makes you wonder. The Science and Entertainment Exchange seem to be great at outreach in Hollywood, but their YouTube channel is watched by nobody. Mm. No one's keeping an eye on them and what they're up to. Except, you know, nerds like us. But, um, yeah, okay, so Alicia Jackson, like you say, former DARPA employee, and she worked in, on DARPA in, like, um, advanced biometrics, stuff like that. So she was involved in how do you incorporate uh, AI with human minds of actual real soldiers? Uh, how do you... <laughs> yeah. Essentially, she was kind of involved in making super soldiers, or at least developing technologies for potentially making super soldiers. And then she left to uh, become CTO of Drawbridge Health. And she gave this presentation at the Science of the Marvel Cinematic Universe event, which I don't even know how you describe It's some sort of convention. Basically, they have a load of props and stuff from Marvel films. And, and these are set up in, like in a museum as if these things are real. Oh, yeah. And they, they keep calling, uh, they, they say, you know, you can see costumes and artifacts. It's like they're mm -hmm. props. Yeah, they're not right. artifacts. I mean, they're not real yeah. things from a real universe. They're mm. props from a movie. And NASA did the same thing. They had like a whole Captain America Avengers thing in New York a couple of years back that they were NASA heavily sponsored. Very, very similar sort of thing. And I think the Science and Entertainment Exchange were also involved in that. But... So you have them, like I say, going to this almost museum exhibit of fictional stuff, and then they sit down to watch a bunch of scientists discuss the supposed science, the science fiction of the cinematic Marvel Cinematic Universe as though it's real. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Why would you even do this? What do they even think they're accomplishing? And it, but. I'm going to get into this, to, uh, I think, in greater detail in this film that I'm making. But in particular, Alicia Jackson, she gave this really weird presentation where she's talking about the ability to develop superpowers, in effect, and how one day there will be, we hope, this ability to like temporarily give yourself superpowers and that this would involve interfering with embryos when they're gestating, interfering with their DNA in order to... Uh, like insert a bunch of things into the genome that could then be switched on or off later in life so you could activate superhuman vision or whatever. Fly strength. or something, yeah. Whatever, yeah, whatever it is that you think is possible to do that way. Um, and that these would become like a consumer product almost. And then you look at the name of her company, <laughs> Drawbridge Health. And doesn't that sound, again, very elitist? It sounds like we're going to be the ones hidden behind the drawbridge with the superpowers while all of the rest of you plebs are, you know, skirting about the post-apocalyptic landscape starving. I mean, that, that's the sort of thing, image that it conjures up. And when you watch her presentation, that seems to be the world she's trying to conjure up. But actually, she wants to live in that world. She even says at one point that she considers herself to have superpowers. Yes. And that, like, she is Superwoman. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what? Mm. Have, has she just lost it? 
<laughs> like, also, like Superwoman is DC, not Marvel. You know, like, if you're, like <laughs> a little bit of a uh, faux pas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, she obviously doesn't know that much about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No, no. I mean, she did. Uh, you, if you watch her on the video in particular, but even if you just listen to it, you can hear the tremble in her voice the whole time, mm. and you can tell she is not comfortable doing yeah. this. She's kind of been dropped into this scenario without really having a clue why she's there. Mm. Um, which does, of course, beg the question. Why is she there? Why would you get a former DARPA employee who's now working on developing human superpowers, presumably for for use by the military in the future? Um, And why would you get her to come and give a presentation to a bunch of Marvel fans? Mm. Are they really all that into that kind of stuff? And it seems like, to me anyway... After the Pentagon fell out with the MCU on the Avengers, and they've only worked on one film since then with them, they had to find another way of using the Marvel Universe to their benefit. After all, it is the biggest cultural franchise on Earth in the last ten years or so. Um, They weren't just going to walk away from that. So this seems, to my mind, to be the back door or the side door that this is how the Pentagon is managing to get a little bit of their agenda into that culture and promote at least a little bit of what they want to see promoted in Hollywood through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that Seeks are just, like, I don't know, kind of a, a, a middleman. Um Yeah, a front for that, a middleman for that. Mm. They're doing this on their behalf. They're helping them do it. And again, so far away from their stated mission... And that I just, I felt, you know, more attention needs to be paid to this organization. That's why I did the podcast, and that's why I'm going to focus a big chunk of the film on them. Because no one's no one's putting this together. No one's keeping an eye on them. And they're doing some serious stuff. And helping with the CIA and the Pentagon's, some of their darkest agendas. <laughs> and that's that's not something you, we can just overlook. No, absolutely, and 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 not to to toot our own horns, but you know we we kind of talked about this uh, at the close of um, the second season of the CIA in Hollywood uh, that we believed that uh, you know in the future there would be more and more uh, that that when the government wants to get involved in films and stuff like that, there will be some sort of intermediary, you know, whether it's uh, what was it, McClarty Associates, um, yeah, with, yeah, uh, McClarty Media with Richard, yeah, Clark. you know. Or using Sikhs, this benign, lovable bunch of, you know, dorky scientists. Um, yet they're, you know, they're, they're talking about, um, you know, this sort of transhumanist DARPA agenda of creating, you know, superhumans, um, that will probably, you know, lord over, uh, us plebs, uh, you know, at the, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and just, well, she, uh, does, she does sort of imply it at one point in her presentation. She's sort of talking about, you know, who's this? Who's going to have access to this? Who's going to be able to afford it? Who's going to be able to afford the latest superpower? Mm. And it, the whole thing just starts to become like, okay, so this is some kind of toolkit for the rich. Yeah, right. it's not about helping humanity thrive. <laughs> Sorry, mm. that, that, that phrase just tumbled out. It's from Silicon Valley. Um, <laughs> but in, in a very real sense, you know, it's not about making people healthier or helping people, ordinary people, live their lives. It's about making the rich that much sort of more powerful than the rest of us. It's about reinforcing the status quo through science and technology, which, again, is this elitist, nasty 
ugly agenda. And I just... Okay, people are going to have different interpretations of some of this stuff we've talked about as to how important it is. Fine, fair enough. But that's the part of it that I don't think people... I don't see why people would disagree with, that there is something deeply worrying about that sort of agenda with the, you know, in keeping and in relation with these sorts of organizations, the DOD and the CIA and weird transhumanist technology companies. That sort of thing, that's worrying. That's dark. That could end very badly for the whole human race. So that's not something to just be trivialized, even if some of the other stuff you might think... Nah, what does it matter? Some of it, I'm sure quite a lot of the time, Sikhs aren't doing this. They're doing things that don't really matter, but they're also doing this. Well, and again, this this um, this is something we, we've talked about before. I mean, it's not, it's more than just films. I mean, if it was, if they were just, you know, helping and consulting, there wouldn't be all of this sort of baggage along with it. You know, and this is, this is not about science anymore. It's not about, because again, it's not about portraying accurate science. You know, instead, let's have, um, some transhumanist DARPA employee talking about creating, you know, superpowers. I mean, that's, come on. That's, that's, that's not, you know, about the astrophysics of, I don't know, wormholes or something like that. I mean, no, no we're, sure. we're kind it, of... It, it's utopian science fiction or even mm. dystopian science fiction. That's right. that's what they're really doing. Um, and that, w- once terrifying. more, just to re-emphasize, is, is quite dark and not what they claim to be doing. And just generally, any organization, particularly in Hollywood, who claims to be doing one thing and is actually doing another, just bothers me. You yeah. know, on a personal level, the dishonesty... The fundamental dishonesty of almost everything that goes on in Hollywood just kind of pisses me off. So that was another reason why I did an episode on this. Yeah. No, absolutely. And again, I encourage people uh, to go and listen to the full episode, uh, episode 131 on clandestine. Um, all about the science and entertainment exchange. I mean, there's there's more to it. Uh, and I, you know, Tom does a better job. Uh, on the podcast of kind of laying all this stuff out, and it's a, it's a quite funny podcast too. You have some wonderful. Uh, one-liners there, uh, you know, particularly talking about, um, you know, just their, their stated objectives and goals and how this kind of differs and, and why it's so terrifying. Um, and uh, we're we're running up uh, towards the end of the hour. And um, Tom, you just mentioned there before you're working on uh, a new film. And um, you know, uh, plug that uh, a little bit for the listeners because uh, I am very excited um, uh, about this uh, new film that you're working on. So uh, tell the listeners a little bit about that. Well, essentially, I'm looking at the Pentagon and the Science and Entertainment Exchange and taking a more abs- somewhat more abstract and philosophical approach and asking, OK, they do. We can cite various specific examples of the influence that they've had on films and TV. But what's the big picture? And the big picture is the attempt to use entertainment to reassert the authority of the state. And not just the state in the sense of the government, but also big corporations and also the sense of. Uh, shared ideas and beliefs, a shared perception of reality, and obviously science tries to claim the authority over what reality is and what is and isn't real. So the science and entertainment exchange fit right into that. And also, obviously, those two organizations work together and are related. So I'm going to use the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the example and discuss both of these organizations' relationship with that and look at, is this likely to succeed or fail? Is this attempt to reassert the authority of the state through Hollywood actually a good idea, or is the whole thing going to spectacularly backfire? And that's what the film's going to be about. Mm. Um, 
I don't know how to summarize it better than that, and we don't have a huge amount of time. So, yeah, I'm not sure when it's going to be finished, probably, hopefully by the summer, but I'm not really sure what I'm then going to do with it. But I'm working hard on it, so rest assured it's going to be out at some point. Well, and then obviously we'll have you back on uh, to to discuss that. But uh, no, it's it's a fa- <clears throat> excuse me, it's a fascinating topic, and it is um it it still just kind of uh, gets me or it gets to me that you know the the seemingly the the state and particularly the Pentagon is sort of like hedging their bets on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That <laughs> this is this is their you know I, I mean again imagine that there are probably endless meetings at the Pentagon and and at the you know their um you know entertainment liaison offices in in uh, Hollywood and around uh, L.A. where they're like spending. God only knows how many hours and, and time and money talking about this um, and uh, and theorizing and, and trying to figure out, you know, well, you know, maybe, you know, this is this is it. This is how we reassert our sort of dominance um, as this sort of powerful entity. And I mean, you see that more and more where like every Marvel movie um, just seems to be kind of falling into that more and more, um, especially, you know, I, I found in a, in a bunch of them this sort of weird, you know, thing where like. Um, you, you know, it's like the superheroes kind of have to work with the state, you know, they, they can't kind of do it on their own. Um, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, or if they do, it's, it's sort of like looked down upon. I mean, that's sort of like part of the premise of, um, what's the civil war, right? Uh, where yeah, yeah, you've sure. got, you know, you've got these two sort of factions, one that the government supports and one that the government doesn't support. Um, so again, they're kind of implanting that idea and, and, uh, it, it just, it just strikes me as again, it, it's this is like more than just, um, you know, making movies. There's there's so there's so much more to this, uh, and it's just it's just sort of crazy to me again that they're like, Marvel, that's it, you know. And we're already <laughs> kind of seeing. Uh, I mean, they're they're kind of getting their their claws into DC as well, right? Well, and all these other rival cinematic universes, the monster universe that um, Universal Pictures is doing, and DC as well. Um, One of the things I'm going to touch on or probably dwell on a bit in the film is that whole fiasco with the United Nations and Wonder Woman. And when they (laughs) appointed Wonder Woman, some kind of woman's ambassador or some nonsense. And then the whole thing, the whole thing fell apart because a bunch of feminists complained about it. I mean, it it really was. And then the film came out and it was, you know, this very politicized film release for this comic book movie. Pretty good comic book movie as far as they go. But okay, so it's got a female lead fine yeah. um why why does that have to be a big political event <laughs> you know what i mean uh, yeah. so no no absolutely this, this thing you, is you, only expanding and getting worse with time oh yeah have you seen that i'm sure you've seen people you know just losing their minds that wonder woman wasn't nominated for like every oscar i, yeah, I mean it's yeah. really i mean i'm not i'm not saying it's a bad movie but i, I mean it's wonder woman okay Anyway, we, we're at the break. Uh, of course, everyone should go to spyculture.com and check out Clandestime. Uh, Tom Secker, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's been great.
Kim. Practically narcotic. Freedom. Oh, yes. I like very much. Radio. You're an American institution. American Freedom Radio. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our stringent quality controls and absolute zero GMOs plus testing for heavy metals makes us unique in the storable foods market. Our line of fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. Take out the amount you need and reseal the package for use within the next six months. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. Go to simplycleanfoods.net. That's www.simplycleanfoods.net today. We all know that they're not telling us the truth. So stand up for your rights, demand the real medicine, and your right to use it and grow it. This is Rick Sensen, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio. American Survival Wholesale is a proud sponsor of the American Freedom Radio. And when you purchase quality products from AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com, you help support this program. Our quality non-GMO foods do not contain MSG, high fructose corn syrup, or heavy metals. At American Survival Wholesale, you can choose from over 8,000 quality products, including self-defense weapons, bug-out bags, and long-term storable food at wholesale prices. We also have custom food packs available, including gluten-free, dairy-free, and vegetarian packs. If we don't have it, you don't need it. American Survival Wholesale is a veteran-owned and operated company, which also supports our veterans in need, and we are very active in disaster relief. If you would like to become a distributor, please email us at bugoutamerica at usa.com or call 818-720-0759. We offer free consultations to answer all your questions. Do it today while things are calm. That's americansurvivalwholesale.com. I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms. And American English is loaded with euphemisms because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth. So they invent the kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. I'll give you an example of that. When I was a little kid, if I got sick, they wanted me to go to the hospital and see the doctor. Now they want me to go to a health maintenance organization. Smug, greedy, well-fed white people have invented a language to conceal their sins. It's as simple as that. The CIA doesn't kill anybody anymore. They neutralize people. The government doesn't lie and engages in disinformation. Israeli murderers are called commandos. Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? They never mention that part of it to us, do they? Never mention that part of it. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com 
or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs and artillery batteries not included. Freedom Radio. Porkins Policy Radio, offering a unique perspective on everything geopolitics, culture creation, the reality of the world we live in. To you live from New York City, your host, Pierce Redmond. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Porkins Policy Radio. I am your host, Pierce Redmond. Uh, if you are joining us right now, uh, we were joined in the first hour by our good friend Tom Secker, and we were talking all about the science and entertainment exchange. Uh, this uh, very uh, bizarre, uh, again, it's like a pseudo-government agency uh, involved in uh, over 1,300 films uh, with the CIA, um, you know, the Pentagon. Uh, they consult on a lot of stuff. And I, I really do encourage people to uh, check out uh, Tom's uh, a full episode on that and to kind of just keep your, keep your ear to the ground when it comes uh, to the stuff that Seeks is involved with because, uh, you know, Tom and I were kind of talking there towards the end, but this is very much uh, along the same lines uh, that we we believed uh, was going to be happening when it came to the government's influence in Hollywood, that because it had become so sort of widespread uh, knowledge that the Pentagon, FBI, CIA, you know, you name it, DEA, uh, are, are so deeply involved in, in Hollywood and ultimately in our popular culture that they would begin uh, sort of um, using front groups or sort of contracting this out, you know, that this is – and again, Sikhs is such a wonderful front group to use uh, when it comes uh, uh, to, to this sort of behavior uh, because, of course um, – you know, they're they're just a science uh, organization. That's all they are. But anyway, um, I uh, I am going solo in the second hour. Um, I think it's been a while since I've done uh, a full hour by myself. But um, I, I of course I couldn't really convince Tom uh, to stick around. Uh, but that's okay. Um, just as a, a point of uh, a, a point of order here, or um, a fun fact, Tom, uh, myself, and Robbie Martin are going to be recording. Uh, a couple of shows uh, in the very near future. We're going to be continuing our series looking at uh, these low-budget uh, 9-11 B-movies. So uh, we've got two that we're going to be uh, recording uh, very soon. Um, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, The Reflecting Pool, which is actually kind of a, uh, a... It's a pretty good movie when it comes to low-budget 9-11 conspiracy thrillers. And Oh, excuse me. Nothing like a, a burp live on the air. And we're also going uh, to be uh, reviewing, if you can even call it that, probably one of the worst films I've ever seen, uh, Able Danger, which is uh, just t- kind of 
takes the prize. Um, it's, it's even worse than uh, Operation Terror, um, which was the, the first movie we did in the series. But uh, they're all available online. I think the Reflecting Pool is on YouTube, and you can find Able Danger on Vimeo. So definitely encourage people to check those out, especially before uh, listening to our podcast on uh, uh, on these movies. And those all those will be, uh, of course, available on uh, spyculture.com, and, and Robbie and I will, will have them up on our websites as well. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I, I really enjoy... Uh, the, the, that we're continuing with this little series because it's it's always fun to kind of talk about uh, 9/11 in a in a different way, not the sort of uh, the narrative that sort of becomes so dominant uh, within the conspiracy culture. Uh, and of course, you know, Robbie and Tom are, are just know way more than I do um, about it, so I, I always learn something. So it's always fun to have them uh, to talk with them. But um, anyway. Um, enough, uh, just sort of, uh, odd ramblings there. I guess we should, uh, I, I do have something kind of planned <coughs> for the second hour here, but, uh, at first I just wanted to, um, and this will kind of lead into what I want to talk about, but <coughs> just in the, in the past, uh, few days, we've had, um, several great, uh, people passing away. Um, and, uh, it, it, it it's always weird, um, when, uh, celebrities or, or famous people, uh, start passing away. I mean, it seems, it, you know, it seems like it happens in these waves. Um, you know, I was talking last uh, or two weeks ago on uh, Chuck Ocelli's show. I was talking about uh, Dolores O'Riordan, uh, the lead singer of the Cranberries, who uh, meant a lot to me. And, you know, and she had recently passed away at a very young age. And then uh, yet again, we, we had another uh, legend in the music industry, Marky Smith, the lead singer of The Fall, uh, which is a phenomenal post-punk band. If you If you have never heard of The Fall, uh, I encourage people uh check out uh their album. I mean, they've tons and tons of albums. Uh there are lots of different members of the fall. Of course, Marky Smith was the the lead singer and songwriter for them, but great out, you know, Hex Induction Hour uh, is a, an amazing album. Uh I'll probably use um uh a song or two uh from uh maybe Hex Induction Hour or another uh fall album for the bonus podcast that I'm gonna be recording later today. But, uh, yeah, he was just a, you know, anyone that's at all interested in, uh, post-punk and, um, the roots of it, I mean, you, then you, you need to listen, uh, to the Fall albums because they're just really tremendous, really influential. Um, you know, he, he was really big on, um, he, the sort of production side of, of albums and stuff and he insisted there always had to be two drummers. Um, you know, no matter what. Uh, so in every, uh, incarnation of the fall, uh, there were always two drummers, uh, both in studio and live on stage. So, you know, uh, and Marky Smith is also a fascinating person. Um, you know, he, I mean, it's amazing he lived to be as long as, uh, you know, to live as long as he did. Uh, I mean, just the sheer hell that he put his body through. I think he was a lifelong, uh, smoker, drinker, and, um, uh, speed aficionado uh, throughout his entire life, and I'm sure every other drug under the sun. But I know that you know booze, cigarettes, and speed were his uh, his big three. Uh, and he was still touring, as far as I know. Um, you know, even with all of that. So uh, you know, a, a big shout out to uh, Marky Smith. If people, um, uh, some people might, um, if they've ever seen the movie Twenty Four Hour Party People, which is about um, it, it's about the factory records, uh, and also the post-punk scene in Manchester. So, you know, there's a Joy Division, um, Happy Mondays, uh, New Order, The Fall, all of these groups, 
um, are, are sort of in that. And Marky e. Smith actually has a cameo in 24 Hour Party People. Uh, I think it's with with uh, Steve Coogan uh, is uh, in the camp, and it, it's like a weird. If people people should also check out Twenty Four Hour Party People. is a pretty fun movie about that whole sort of scene and and how it changed, and you know how post punk, um, how the how that that sound uh, kind of translated into uh, the sort of like uh, I guess sort of like British house music, uh, you know, especially with groups like New Order and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, there's a great little cameo with Marky e. Smith. I think he even like looks at the, you know, breaks the fourth wall, um, you know, and looks in the camera. So, uh, you know, highly encourage the fall and Marky e. Smith. A big shout out to them. They were, you know, especially when I was in college, I used to listen to them all the time. But uh, it wasn't even just Marky e. Smith. We also uh, unfortunately had the passing of Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, who's a phenomenal science fiction writer. Uh, she's written tons and tons of books. Um, uh, Left Hand of Darkness is a, a big one that I think that people uh, will be pretty familiar with. That's a very famous book. She was a, very close uh, friends with uh, George R. R. Martin uh, and just a really amazing uh, pioneering science fiction writer. Um, and uh, I've actually I've never uh, read The Left Hand of Darkness, but uh, I just got a uh, a used copy of it um, that I'm going to be reading uh, very soon. So and and I might I might do something on Ursula K. Uh, Le Guin because she's just a really interesting person, um, and uh, you know her her book should be should be more widespread. And then uh, you know if that wasn't enough as well, we also had the passing of the great Robert Perry or uh, or Bob Perry as he was known to his friends, uh, who is the founder of Consortium News. And uh, I'm sure I've mentioned Robert Perry on the show before. I've definitely uh, used um, articles of his from Consortium News and and from other things as well. Uh, just a really amazing. Uh, True independent journalist, um, and uh, I mean his work on Iran Contra is like still cited to this day. I mean he did some of the real uh, serious kind of diving into Iran Contra. I mean he he went to El Salvador um, to do on the ground reporting. I believe he traveled some in some other places in Central America, and he was really one of the you know along with. Um, you know, other people, uh, um, you know, later Gary Webb, of course. But in the 80s, Robert Perry was really one of the, the, the few true independent journalists that was um, looking into Iran-Contra. And, and I believe at the time he was he was uh, working for the Associated Press, which, of course, uh, did not like, um, you know, that he was sort of digging uh, deeply into government uh, involvement in cocaine trafficking and you know, funding the Contras and uh, the sort of scarier, you know, the, the continuity of government, all of these sort of uh, very uh, serious topics. And I believe, you know, he, he was reprimanded uh, at AP and eventually, of course, it became uh, he, be, he, be, he became kind of a social pariah amongst the mainstream media. Uh, oh, and, and also um, Robert Perry's other uh, one. I mean, he's great many contributions to the world of journalism, but I would say Iran-Contra and then also the uh, October surprise uh, that happened um, uh, in ni- 1980. Uh, and this is dealing with the uh, the Reagan administration's uh, covert dealings with the Ayatollah of Iran. I remember our, our, our uh, arch enemy. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan and his national security team, uh, you know, obviously had no problem calling up the Ayatollah and basically asking 
uh, that that uh, he not release the uh, hostages that had been taken back in 1979. Um, so you know these are the hostages that were taken at the embassy, um, and uh, you know famously, of course, there's uh, you know Argo uh, about uh, some of their escape, but there were you know many many hostages that were still being held, and. Uh, Ronald Reagan and his, uh, you know, neoconservative cabal that uh, was surrounded him were in serious negotiations with the Ayatollah uh, and basically sidelined all of Jimmy Carter's negotiations in order to release the hostages and that the hostages had to be released, you know, after the election. So basically, you know, after uh, Reagan won <clears throat> and. You know, at the time, this kind of, you know, this this was a big blow to Jimmy Carter. He had been talking about getting them released. He couldn't, uh, basically because the Ayatollah cut a deal um, with uh, Reagan and, and his administration. And famously, people will remember uh, during uh, Reagan's inauguration, uh, on all the TVs, you know, across the, the globe, um, but certainly in the U.S., there, you know, on the, I think it was on the left-hand side, it was Ronald Reagan, you know, at the Capitol giving his inauguration speech. And then on the right-hand side was live video footage of the hostages being released. So you can see them getting off the plane. I forget where they flew, but, you know, they're, they're getting off the plane. They're hugging their loved ones. And again, the image that is ingrained in everyone's mind, you know, Reagan freed the hostages. Uh, this, even though he he wasn't even in office, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. Uh, it's not as if he he you know, ostensibly he wasn't doing anything. You know, he was. It was his inauguration. It's not as if he was implementing policy or anything. But you know, look, Carter couldn't do it, and now we've got um, you know this uh, former uh, Hollywood actor and not a very good one uh, who was you know an FBI informant and. Um, you know, worked uh, for uh, the, the government, uh, you know, his whole time while in Hollywood, you know, HUAC and all those sort of things. But we have this, um, you know, idiot Hollywood actor uh, who's going to, you know, the, the whole city or town shining light in this. You know, I forget the stupid phrase that he used, but, you know, he, he's going to make America great again. Um, you know, and uh, and look, he's already doing it. And, it, you know, and he's he hasn't even been inaugurated yet. Well, anyway, Robert Perry was uh, also very interested in the October surprise and did a lot of the real, you know, true legwork early on diving into this, talking with various sources. And, you know, he was able to uh, show that, um, you know, th this was happening. And of course, too, I mean, the, the whole October surprise, I mean, this these weird um clandestine negotiations or conversations between elements uh, within the White House and Ayatollah Khomeini, um, <laughs> you know, and then cut to Iran-Contra, you know? I mean, we're, we're you know, we're, we're selling weapons uh, with the Iranians and, and we're using that, you know, in cocaine sales and, we're, you know, we're buying weapons, we're shipping them to the Contras and we're using cocaine. I mean, it's, it's all there. I mean, it's, it is no surprise that Iran was so deeply involved in, you know, the arms trade and in helping uh, with the Contras after, uh, you know, they, they already had a working relationship. And again, everyone kind of... Um, you know, skips aside from, you know, when you when you talk about Iran-Contra, it's, it's mostly about, you know, the Contras. It's about the cocaine. It's not about arms sales and Iran uh, and, you know, where was this money coming from? Where was this money going? Uh, how were we, you know, again, we're simultaneously working with Iran while we're denouncing them, um, you know, and then it, it's shortly thereafter, 
you know, our uh, our proxy Saddam initiates this really horrific war uh, with Iran. But, uh, you know, there, there's all this is all sort of connected here. And, and so, I, you know, I always just find it so funny, uh, especially when it's, you know, neocons griping on about Iran. And it's like, well, you know, Oliver North had you know, no problem with Oliver North working with them in the 80s. That was OK. You know, he, he could work with the Iranians. He could sell coke, um, you know, uh, on behalf of the Contras. That was all above board. But anyway, Robert Perry, very, you know, influential with all of that and really a great journalist. I mean, it, it's so sad to hear uh, that he uh, passed away as well, um, especially, you know, given the the true importance of, of good independent journalists at the time. And again, too, let me I'll point out to that the stories that Perry uh, focused on and his tenacity as a, a a real true investigative journalist. This, you know, he became ostracized much in the same way that you know Gary Webb and, and others too um, became ostracized uh, by the mainstream media uh, because he was reporting actual facts and he was digging deep and he was a, and you know like many people uh, before and after him he was getting amazing scoops. You know, um, you know, that that's what's so funny with this is, you know, the, the mainstream media will be angry that he's not towing the line. You know, he's not following the, the talking points that we're all supposed to be using. But at the same time, too, they're also kind of pissed because, well, you know, damn, that's a good story. That's a great. You know, I wish I had that story. And of course, you know, that that actually takes, uh, you know, dedication and hard work and, and guts you know, to be able to do this. But Robert Perry, you know, after basically, you know, sort of being exiled from the mainstream media, I think it was around 1995, he founded Consortium News, uh, which was um, also a pioneering news uh, news outlet because it was it was all online. Um, and Robert Perry was, you know, very influential in, you know, online media journalism. Uh, again, you know, uh, like others, too, like Gary Webb, who, who utilized uh, the Internet in order to put his stories out there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Bob Perry was uh, one of the first big people to to kind of go out there and say, well, you know, if I, if I can't get printed in a newspaper, I, I'll get printed online, you know, and it's all there and it's archived forever. Um, and as I was saying, you know, there's a real lack of serious independent journalists at the moment. And, um, you know, the, um, the, it sort of reminded me, uh, I think it was, uh, well, it must have been a few months back now, but I, I did a a bonus podcast talking about Wayne Barrett, who um, it, it worked for the Village Voice. So obviously, you know, not as uh, uh, I don't know, it's not as independent as you know running your own uh, website like uh, Perry did. But you know, Wayne Barrett, true a true real muckraking journalist. I mean, his stories still stand up, especially you know his um, his deep dives into uh, you know Trump and Roger Stone and. Uh, New York politics and, and all of that. And, you know, it was, a, it was a real shame that Wayne Barrett died when he did just before Trump uh, was inaugurated. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, equally as great a tragedy that uh, Bob Perry is no longer with us, especially given the kind of craziness that's going on uh, within the, the, the Trump White House. Um, certainly the, the um, you know, there's a real lack of, of serious reporting on the CIA and, and the intelligence state. And uh, Robert Perry certainly uh, would have been a welcomed voice in all of that. And more so, just the, the way that, um, you know, it's, it's, it really kind of uh, hits me when we lose people like 
like Perry, like Barrett, like others, you know, uh, of their ilk, because there really is, there's no like substitute in it. You know, there's no, there's no one that can kind of fill those shoes. I mean, um, you know, obviously, I mean, uh, I, there are people that I love and trust and, and, you know, and I, and I follow their work, uh, and stuff, but there's, there aren't the, the sort of, you know, Perry had connections. He, he, you know, he had great sources. He was, you know, he would write these amazing stories. I mean, they would, they would be well sorted. You know, you couldn't really, um, you know, argue with. I mean, you could if you wanted to. And I'll get to uh, some of these uh, posthumous, uh, uh, nasty uh, little attacks that um, on uh, Perry and his character. But with everything that's happening, you know, who fills that void? Um, you know, I know, I know some people thought, oh, the intercept, you know, that's, uh, you know, and that was certainly presented to us as, uh, oh, this is going to be the new alternative. We're Greenwald and Scahill and, you know, we'll get those Snowden documents and look at, look at wh- where the intercept is. It's nothing. It's a garbage outlet. Um, Greenwald doesn't even write stories anymore. Um, you know, I, I don't even, he doesn't even really do interviews all that much. Uh, Scahill occasionally, uh, writes something, it's a, you know, modicum of interest. Um, you know, I, I, I give him credit for, uh, covering the, the Eric Prince, uh, private CIA, uh, agency that he was going to build with, of course, Oliver North <laughs> for Donald Trump. But, you know, I mean, there's just nothing there. We, there's no more stone documents. There's nothing. It's, uh, it's just another kind of corporate, um, entity that uh, turns out mostly kind of generic stuff. And, and that's, that is the, the sort of trajectory of most media right now. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into news, bud, but you know, you know where I stand with that, uh, and their, uh, their idea of media integrity and independent journalism. And we see that more and more. And, um, the, the, the you know, I just want to kind of impart that the situation is getting kind of serious now. You know, it's, it's becoming, a bigger and bigger issue and there's a real lack of people out there that are willing to kind of go deep on these things and to really uncover stuff um and uh you know so it it uh, we we should really all to kind of tip our hats uh to Robert Perry uh for everything that he has done in, you know in order to uh help expose the truth about serious topics like Iran Contra like the October surprise um I mean there's lots you know his coverage of the Iraq war is still phenomenal um and uh yeah it's a, it's a real shame and uh, and I look out there on the media landscape and there there really there aren't people that are kind of stepping into that um and you know in part it, it's because um we've become such a a hyper politicized um culture and, and nation, you know, as a, as a people, you know, the, uh, Americans have become so hyper politicized and, and so kind of partisan. Uh, and again, there's a, you know, there's a bit of that too with, you know, Robert Perry was obviously on the left and never hid that fact. Um, but, uh, you know, th- that aside, there's nothing, his reporting is all solid. Um, and, uh, you know, but we, we don't want that anymore. You know, again, we, we, we've entered into this realm of, you know, and I hate saying it, but like, you know, the sort of fake news or, or just this sort of hyper partisan biased media environment where it's no, it's not really everyone that, that calls themselves a journalist, you know, is really just, um, some blowhard, uh, opinion maker, you know, or just a, just a, a talking head. 
um, there's there's no real independence. So no one's really doing investigations. Um, I mean, obviously there are some people here and there, you know, and I, I would count myself as someone that, um, while maybe is not a, a, a true journalist, I mean, I, I, you know, I do pride myself on, uh, you know, laying out the facts um, and stuff like that. And again, you know, Tom Secker, another person like that, and you know, all, pretty much all the people I have on my show. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, I mean, it's it's there's nothing. It's just this sort of endless echo chamber of people yelling at one another you know and and everything is a everything is a conspiracy and you know and and we, we need to rely on on QAnon uh to, to give us the answers that we're, we're searching for only QAnon again this savior this mythical nameless faceless person will will set us free he's going to tell us when when Trump uh, starts rounding up the pedos and and uh and and it's okay when Trump employs martial law to um you know, to, to, uh, uh, achieve his goals of making America great again because QAnon told us it's okay. Again, this, we don't know who this person is. It, it's nothing. And, and all they're saying is they're, they're again, they're just sort of preaching to the choir. Um, nothing that QAnon is saying is, is, I mean, tangible. Um, now, you know, uh, he might, I assume QAnon to kind of go a little bit off topic. I assume QAnon is, is either working, uh, with Trump or for Trump. And so, yes, there are some things that QAnon might say that, uh, you know, become sort of uh, established fact later. But that's only because, you know, Trump and him are in on it or, or whatever. But it's not as if he's he's presenting us with real stuff. He's he's just he's presenting us with this um, this this prize. You know, if we just if we just hold on a little bit longer, this anonymous faceless entity who we don't know who I mean, I keep saying he I mean, it could be a woman. It could be. Anybody. It could be, an, I don't know, an alien. It could be a, a, an advanced robot for all we know because we don't know who it is. But it's this mythical figure that's going to lead us to salvation. And that's sort of the exact opposite of someone like Robert Perry who, um, you know, uh, was not – uh, just sort of dangling this this magic fruit in front of us, this treasure that will you know will, this will set us free. He actually went and did real reporting. You know, he went to the places he was talking about. He met with people on the ground. He developed contacts over many years, and he produced solid reporting. Um, and instead, um, you know, who's filling that void? QAnon and and all these whack job idiots. Um, you know, in the, the right wing conspiracy culture that glom on to everything that this anonymous person on 4chan says, uh, and this is going to help them. This is, this is the truth. This is the, you know, the, the, um, you know, uh, Lionel, this, I mean, true. I, I don't know if he's consciously aware of this or, you know, if he's being paid to be this idiotic and moronic or if he truly is just so drunk on the Trump kool-aid uh that that he believes it but you know he talks about QAnon like it's the greatest you know this is the most important media story uh of the of ever you know ever um it's garbage you know it's nothing there's there's nothing really there you know this again this this is what counts for journalism nowadays um anonymous uh p people on 4chan talking absolute nonsense but that that counts you know that's that's the important media story. And then all of the, the good right wing, uh, you know, Internet uh, armchair pundits should all be talking about that, not about the great Robert Perry passing away. And and on this sort of note of 
nastiness and uh and attacks and whatnot uh you know happening um there was a i i saw this uh through i think it was uh, robbie martin or it might have been jp satilli had commented but uh proper not the uh wonderful uh again anonymous uh website and twitter account people will remember proper not they came out with their you know i think it was in 2016 uh about this this list this their blacklist of of 200 websites um which were identified as russian propaganda outlets uh and again nobody knows who proper not is nobody knows who's behind them i mean it's obvious that they're uh, some sort of extension of the government and of course proper not you know uh promotes all of the government friendly uh so-called uh you know media outlets like uh Bellingcat, you know, Elliot Higgins, um and, and and people like, you know, of of that uh I don't know nature. Uh but uh you know proper not also named consortium news and 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 singled out Robert Perry as, you know, one of the you know, he was a real horrible person and, and evil and whatnot. And there is a um I'll, I'll link up to it in the show notes. A uh, very interesting article uh, that was published on uh, January 28th, 2018 on Consortium News uh, called Unpacking the Shadowy Outfit Behind 2017's Biggest Fake News Story. And uh, I don't believe this was actually written by Robert Perry. I think it was written uh, by George uh, Eliasson. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a Consortium News uh, article. But, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting and it kind of goes into, you know, who, who's behind this. And again, people kind of forget, you know, proper not, um, th- this whole question of like fake news, you know, it's like, uh, the chicken or the egg, you know, who kind of y- used, you know, cause of course Trump and the right wing love, you know, everything is fake news. But at the same time, you had, you know, proper not this supposedly, you know, left leaning or, or liberal, uh, sort of outlet, you know, they were using, uh, fake news. And now, and now, of course, everyone uses fake news. But certainly Proper Not was sort of one of the original kind of purveyors of this whole um, uh, phenomenon uh, uh, known as fake news. But anyway, uh, Proper Not, um, I think it was when, just, it was either the day that Robert Perry passed away or maybe it was the day after. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they, they sort of uh, quoted, you know, they did like the quote tweet talking about it was a consortium news uh tweet saying you know basically promoting this this interesting article and talking about how silly proper not is and why they're really you know the, the bad guys in this whole thing and then proper not tweets back this is just after robert perry dies quote this completely wrong story is an appropriate tribute to robert perry's legacy of spreading lies in the severe in the service of, brut- of brutally corrupt regimes that are at war with us he is, no doubt, hot bunking it in hell with Lord Haw Haw. Good riddance. Um, so, I mean, I, I didn't even know. I, I was I was actually fairly shocked that the, this Twitter account um, was was going to kind of go to to those sort of lengths. And really, again, I mean, it, it's he just passed away. I mean, and, and you know, he is survived by I think he has like four kids, you know, wife. Um, you know, family, friends, you know, it, it's, I understand, you know, some of the, you know, it's, it's a, it's, don't speak ill of the dead. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, I, I've spoken ill of the dead. Um, but, uh, you know, not, not the second they, they pass away. 
Uh, and usually, you know, and I'm, I'm being kind of a, a hypocrite here, but, you know, usually it's because they, they kind of had it coming. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like, I, I mean, I, I'll have no problem speaking ill of John McCain, or, you know, or, or, or Donald Trump or Bush or Clinton or, or, you know, any of these people, uh, when they, they, you know, Obama, when they eventually go, I mean, who, you know, who really cares? But again, I'm being kind of a hypocrite, but anyway, uh, I mean, the, the real kind of hypocrisy or, or problem with this too is, um, you know, the good riddance uh, and all this. And again, it's this idea that Robert Perry is a, is some sort of a Russian agent. Um, and that, uh, you know, and he supports the brutally corrupt regimes that we are at war with. Well, I don't remember being at war with Russia, uh, but apparently we are according to proper not. Uh, and, and this is sort of indicative of that sort of hyper politicized environment that I was talking about a little bit earlier there. I mean, again, they're, they're sort of implying too that, that, that Perry is some sort of a Syrian, you know, agent, that Assad is giving him money. But the you know the real the real kind of thing there is the Russians. Um, <clears throat> Robert Perry uh, was a you know a Putin apologist at best or a Putin crony at worst. You know he was he was uh, either uh, you know I don't know uh, helping out Putin you know or just being a nice guy to Putin or you know if you you read some of the stuff proper not or some you know the way other people have sort of characterized this you know he was a Kremlin agent he's getting a paycheck from Putin every month. Uh, to write lies, you know, on, on consortium news. So this again, this is this is what I'm I'm talking about here. I mean, we're not at war with Russia, um, you know, in, in any real sense. I mean, we're not involved in a in a ground war. I mean, maybe we're, you know, uh, I guess you can make the case that we're sort of involved in, in, you know, the Cold War with Russia never ended. Okay, fine, but still, you know, this is I mean, talk about this sort of like over the top rhetoric here. Um, and more so, I mean, again, it's who is proper not? They're an anonymous group of people. We don't know who proper not is. We don't know who runs this account. We don't know who's behind the website. Um, you know, we've no idea, uh, you know, who's um, funding them. Uh, we don't know who's uh, telling them what to do, all this stuff. You know, Robert Perry never lied about who he was. I mean, he was very upfront. He's Robert Perry, you know, independent journalist, the founder of Consortium News. And, you know, and it's just, it's so easy, uh, you know, in this day and age um, to to just sort of, again, I mean, proper not acting like a, the Russian trolls on Twitter that they claim uh, to, to despise, you know, bad mouthing somebody, you know, reveal yourself. Who are you? You know, come out here, um, uh, you know, and, and again, of course, it's just so typical, you know, proper not uh, their Twitter account. You know, they, they, they go and they cite Elliot Higgins and Bellingcat, uh, some BS article that they wrote, um, you know, uh, Robert Perry falsely accuses 60 Minutes Australia of using fake MH17 evidence. You know, again, because Robert Perry didn't completely buy into the idea that um, the Russians um, or, you know, elements of, uh, you know, the Russian GRU or something that, that they that they didn't, you know, because he didn't believe that they shot down this plane over Ukraine. Uh, he's a Russian agent, you know, immediately. And Elliot Higgins is such a phony. I mean, again, he's literally nobody. He's a guy who just sat at home. You know, he was for people may not know. I mean, he's like, I'm not knocking this, but he was a stay at home dad who had a computer. Okay. And he watched YouTube videos endlessly. And according to him, this 
eventually constituted him uh, to be some sort of a missile expert in Ukraine and Syria. And, you know, through looking at um, YouTube videos and, and uh, static images of Google Earth, you know, he's, he's the most, you know, qualified, eminent uh, person to be talking about missiles and trajectory of missiles and, uh, you know, when chemical weapons are being used in Syria and all this stuff. And then, of course, you know, he becomes a darling of the establishment. And then suddenly Google pays him a bunch of money. You know, well, if you're going to use Google Maps, you know, let's let's throw you a couple bucks. Um, you know, and a complete he's a complete propagandist uh, for the establishment. Um, and of course, it's no surprise that Elliot Higgins would, uh, you know, attack uh, proper not. But again, this is just also this is a state of journalism. You know, a, a journalist dies, and even if you disagree with him, okay, you know, even if you you had problems with him, and, and again, let's just say, just for the sake of argument, that uh, you know Robert Perry was completely wrong. The Russians are behind everything, and, and Robert Perry is a, a Russian agent who's spreading Putin's lies. Okay, fine. Let's let's pretend that that's the case. Proper not, you know, they're not talking about his groundbreaking work in Iran-Contra or the October Surprise or the lead up to the Iraq War or during the Iraq War or any of the numerous topics that are covered on Consortium News. Because, you know, again, they're, they're not they're just some bogus idiot probably working for the CIA um, you know, and they, they don't want you to know about all of the great stuff that you can find on Consortium News. You know, that's not really what they're about. You know, they're about to say, oh, you see, he's just uh, um, uh, is a Russian propagandist. That's it. That's the end of the story. You know, again, even if he was, that doesn't take away from all of the hard hitting journalism that he did previously. You know what I mean? Um, and, and this is this is just sort of indicative of um, my whole kind of uh, larger problem uh, with 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 the, the, the sort of um, the state of journalism right now. You know, it's it's um, I don't want to say that, like, you know, it, it's uh, um, I don't want to say that that we we should embrace journalists making mistakes, but they you know, they do. That doesn't discredit everything that they, they talk about. You know what I mean? Um, so and again, I'm not I, I don't think Robert Perry is a Russian agent at all. Um, I think he was just, you know, speaking truth to power. Um, and if, um, you know, your 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 only way of combating that is to, um, you know, defame a man after he passes away. Well, I mean, I think that shows, you know, that just sort of illustrates what kind of a, a sick and twisted person you are. But again, it's it's just sort of like that's it, you know. If you do one bad thing, you're on you're on our list. You're done. You're not a real journalist anymore. You're an agent of propaganda. End of story. I mean, come on. Again, I mean, proper not has no problem um, with uh, you know mainstream uh, U.S. outlets that that regurgitate Pentagon and CIA talking points. I mean, how is that any different? They don't, they, you know. Again, because they don't really care about journalism, uh, and that and that's you know kind of my, my whole point with this is that, you know, this is not about journalism anymore. This is about controlling people's uh, opinions and controlling people's political ideas. Uh, you know, it's not about actually presenting people with something different. It's not about p- telling people the truth. It's about maintaining um, th- this, this, it's about, you know, making sure that when the war between us and, and the Russians uh, happens for real, that we'll all kind of fall in line. And, you know, just as a, 
you know, an aside, I mean, uh, Consortium News, you know, winner of the 2017 Martha Gellhorn Prize for Journalism, winner of the 2015 I.F. Stone Medal from Harvard's Neiman Foundation. I mean, again, you know, like, come on, you're trying to tell me, um, <laughs> you know, that, uh, he, he's, he's a, he's a joke, you know, he's bad or something. And again, too, I mean, it was ridiculous that they even put consortium news on their, 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 uh, you know, blacklisted news site. Cause there's some real, I mean, just whacked out news sites on, you know, just garbage. I wouldn't even call them news sites, you know, and, uh, I, I, it almost seemed like at random, you know, but of course they wanted to, you know, kind of stick it to consortium news and, uh, and again, it was to dissuade people, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, maybe they put them on that list because, you know, a lot of people are going to look at that list and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, these are truly like fake news sites and, and just crazy, you know, racist conspiracy theory sites. Uh, so I'm not going to give consortium news the time of day. Um, you know, if I see that come up or if someone sends me an article, no, 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 no stay away from that. You know, again, very deliberate sort of attack. Um, you know, it's about discrediting real journalism, even if it means you know, you, you have to kind of link that with these garbage people. But, you know, I just um, I found it, you know, very petty, very nasty, kind of small minded, vindictive thing to do. Um, you know, again, this is a, a man. He, you know, he just passed away uh, and to um, decide to defame him uh, in, in such a nasty manner. And again, to completely it's not about any of the other stuff that Robert Perry has talked about. You know, it's all about well, he's a Russian. You know, he, he's working with the Russians. He's he's no better than um, Vladimir Putin. You know, it's, it's not about uh, anything that he might have done in his past. It's just the idea that, you know, he works with all of the nations that we're at war with. And again, as far as I know, we're not at war with Russia or Syria or Iran or any of these things, you know, um, so, you know, that, that's that's proper not there. That's them inserting this uh, hyperbole there, you know, this sort of crazy over the top political rhetoric. And I see that, you know, kind of across the board. And I know I'm kind of rambling on here. I'll, I'll sort of put a pin on uh, maybe the, the, the Robert Perry stuff. But again, it's just a, a true shame to lose someone uh, who's a real gem and, and a true independent journalist at a time when there is just so little investigative journalism going on. I mean, we don't know what's going on with the CIA. Um, when's the last time we've even heard of Mike Pompeo doing something? Um, you know, that is disconcerting to me. Now, I think Pompeo is doing that because Liam Panetta, you know, loved being in front of a TV screen. But who? the next time there's an Iran-Contra type scandal, um, Who's going to be there to talk about it? You know, the next time uh, they, they try to convince us to go to war with uh, a, a country on false pretenses, on bogus evidence, um, f for whatever reason, you know, who's going to be there to kind of point out these lies? Who's going to be there to, to go to the places um, where we're funding a violent uh, proxy, you know, uh, kill squads? Uh, you know, maybe in South America, maybe in the Middle East, maybe in Asia, who knows? And, and, and certainly in Africa, that's happening. <clears throat> you know, Congo and Sudan and places like that. Who's going to go there and uncover those lies? I don't see those people. I don't see a, a, a young Robert Perry in the making that's willing to go out there. Instead, I see a lot of people who are very angry, very close minded, 
Um, and uh, they're willing to kind of sell themselves and sell their integrity if it makes them a buck. And I'm not sure, but I would go out on a limb and say that, you know, Consortium News was not pulling in millions of dollars. They're not, um, you know, having these amazing, uh, you know, funding rounds on Kickstarter and other things like that. Uh, I, you know, I, I would assume I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that. But that's where, you know, these so-called independent journalists that they all seem to be making money hand over fist. Um, you know, again, I mean, I talked about Glenn Greenwald earlier, but, you know, yeah, he, he, he's living large. Um, and some of these other people are certainly living large. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, clicks and views on Periscope and YouTube and, and things like that doesn't amount to anything. That's not real. There's nothing, there's no substance behind that. Um, you know, it's, it's just preaching to the choir. You're not actually presenting information. So very, very kind of sad um, that we've uh, we've lost Robert Perry uh, at a at a crucial time like this. You know, again, as I was saying, what's going on with the CIA? <sighs> Who knows? We're still in Afghanistan. Remember that one? Um, <laughs> you know, um, the, the, this sort of mounting rhetoric about, you know, going after Iran, going after North Korea. There's serious stuff happening right now all over the world. And um, <clears throat> we don't have people to, to really cover this. And uh, this should be uh, of serious concern. And I hope this encourages people out there who might be interested in this. Um, you know, again, you don't, you don't have to go to journalism school, uh, you know, to, to write about this stuff. Um, you know, you, you can do this on your own to, to some degree. And, and of course, if you want to go to journalism school, do that. Uh, if you want to just sort of go out there and just, you know, try and be an, uh, an investigative reporter, I mean, you know, you can go and do that as well. Um, you know, I have no degree in, in any, and again, I don't really consider myself a journalist per se, but I don't have any degree in this, but you know, you, you can, I can still email uh, you know, uh, people and, and you can get court documents and, you know, there's a lot of open source information out there at our fingertips. Uh, and it's a shame that, uh, it's either being used for nefarious circumstances or it's just sort of being ignored. You know, it's not important. Um, we don't need to look deep into these things because I've got 5 million viewers on Periscope every, you know, every time I, I rant and rave about, you know, the, the gay communist liberal Muslim agenda. Um, that's bogus. It's nothing. That's, there's no substance to any of that. Uh, and that, I guess, brings me, um, you know, around to <coughs> probably the least substantive thing that you could, um, <laughs> listen or watch today. But, uh, our glorious leader, El Presidente Trump, is going to give his, uh, State of the Union. Um, I, I am not, uh, holding my breath on, on learning anything or, or hearing anything new. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is, it is a big event. It is his, it's the state of the union. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, it'll be, there's always a, a sort of, uh, you know, who, who's coming, who's skipping out on it. You know, it is, it is sort of like the, you know, the red carpet award ceremony of, uh, Washington DC, this, the state of the union. Um, but none the same, you know, um, I, I know I've already seen, you know, the, the Q and on people, you know, talking about, Always, oh, he's gonna, there, there, you know, there's gonna be some cryptic message in what Trump says tonight that's gonna be directed at Hillary Clinton and the satanic pedophile rings and um, the CIA and of course the deep state, the ever-present deep state is going to be mentioned, uh, you know, during this speech and it'll be coded, of course, you know, it'll only only the 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 true uh, patriots 
uh, that spend most of their time uh, on YouTube, they'll, they'll be able to, to decipher uh, what the, these secret messages that, uh, that Trump is laying out. But, you know, for for the rest of us, I'm not expecting uh, much of anything, although um, I think there will be some interesting stuff, uh, you know, to, to keep an eye on during the State of the Union. One, of course, uh, being that um, our lovely First Lady Melania, this will be her first public appearance uh, since it uh, the the Stormy Daniels revelations in the Wall Street Journal and other publications, and that's kind of interesting. If Maggie Haberman at the New York Times is to be believed, uh, Melania was uh, really sort of um, caught off guard by the, the Stormy Daniels story. Now maybe she really didn't know. Um, I kind of don't really buy into that. Um, but it is true. And I mean, she might have been caught off guard, you know, just by the mere fact that, you know, now everybody knows that, um, what was it four months after, uh, she gave birth to, uh, Baron, uh, you know, Trump was uh, cavorting with a uh, Stormy Daniels and getting, you know, spanked with a copy of Forbes magazine uh, and watching, uh, Shark Week, uh, you know, all incessantly, you know, at all hours. Um, so, you know, it'll be fascinating to see Melania Trump there. Um, of course, you know, uh, just for the mere fact that, you know, obviously everyone in that entire room is going to know that she's just super pissed uh, over the, the Stormy Daniels story. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's also as as horrible as it is um, to uh, uh, sit there and listen Trump um, pontificate on nonsense. I do think it's important to kind of check it out. Um, obviously, I mean, I'm sure a fair amount of what he's going to be talking about is, is DACA and how, you know, we need to get the government going again. And maybe, you know, he might call out Schumer or, or the Democrats in general. But I do think it is important to, to sort of follow these things again, given that we, we, we don't have Robert Perry's out there, um, who, who, uh, to, to be writing about this stuff. We should be concerned. I know it's like, oh God, it's only been a year. You know, a first, you know, first of, of four more, or three more State of the Unions, and it's just so taxing and draining. But you know, we should still be paying attention to this uh, blowhard idiot. And, you know, if for nothing else, um, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about foreign policy, um, especially given that so many uh, of his true hardcore right wing base still seem to believe that this is the anti interventionist. Um, you know, anti-war guy who's going to get us out of all of these conflicts. It'll be interesting to hear, because uh, I assume there will be something about, you know, taking it to Iran, uh, taking it to North Korea, maybe some more sanctions. I mean, I know that that's kind of boring. It's like, who cares about sanctions anymore? But I think we should pay attention uh, because, again, you know, uh, it, it's we've sort of seen that ebb and flow. Um, where, uh, you know, there was a moment where it looked like something was going to happen in Iran. That sort of kind of fizzled out right now. So it'll be interesting to see if Trump has anything to say about the Iran protests, what's going on there. Um, you know, I doubt it, but, you know, if you were to, to, um, you know, maybe give a shout out to the MEK and, uh, Mariam Rajavi or something like that, or, or, you know, we're going to talk about the opposition groups that we should be supporting. So keep a close eye what he says about uh, foreign policy, especially when it comes to like Iran, North Korea, and also if he says anything about Afghanistan, it's, you know, we're still there. We're still there, Mr. President. Um, we, we haven't left. So, you know, check out if he says anything on Afghanistan, if he says anything on Syria, again, given the, the situation in Syria, uh, has sort of heated up again where we've, we've got, 
Um, Turkey, uh, obviously uh, not too pleased with us and, and some of our actions and uh, that we're, we're supporting Kurdish fighters. Uh, there's the whole <coughs> these operations going on in uh, Afrin in Syria where you've got Assad, you've got uh, the U.S. and uh, Kurdish militias uh, and also uh, Turkish um, military. Uh, not to mention, I mean, there's ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all these things are still kind of going on there. So, you know, keep an eye out for anything that Trump says about that, because I I do think, you know, um, it's still an ebb and a flow when it comes to Trump's foreign policy and, and what's important um, and, and, you know, what he wants to throw his support behind. But uh, again, you know, uh, the the sort of the, the unquiet frontier uh, mentality or, or that that sort of um, foreign policy agenda is happening uh, and it, it is kind of increasing and it's in the background. And I think we we might we might sort of see the beginnings of a, of a true sort of formulation of Trump's foreign policy at this uh, at the State of the Union. And also just keep an eye on, you know, any any BS stuff he says about the, the economy is great. I know he's going to talk about, you know, oh, well, the Wall Street is doing again. I thought he was, you know, going to drain the swamp, but, you know. Wall Street and the, is doing wonderful and the NASDAQ is up and all these things mean that I'm, I'm just so wonderful and everything like that. So, you know, keep an eye out, uh, you know, for, for what he says about that as well. And then also, um, you know, just, uh, listen, we might get lucky and, um, you know, he might get cotton mouth again. Maybe his dentures will fall out. Uh, I mean, that would just, I think I could die a happy man tonight if uh, Donald Trump's dentures uh, fell out during the State of the Union or he got, you know, cottonmouth so bad and he had to drink water uh, funny. That would just be tremendously wonderful. And if, and this will be a, a long speech. Um, you know, I, I can't remember. I assume I can't remember the last time he's done like a, a, a long, long speech. So, you know, it'll be fun to sort of uh, watch and see if, uh, you know, if his, um, his mouth gets dry, if he does that weird his, when he's like breathing super heavily through his nose all the time. Uh, so, you know, all those are, those are the fun things. And, and, you know, maybe we can make a, you know, a drinking game out of it or something like that. Uh, you know, um, it definitely, I would say if we're, if we're going to do it, uh, to get totally off topic and into the sort of silly realm, anytime he says, uh, China, yeah, you got to drink. Um, I think, uh, what else would be uh, some other uh, good ones? Uh, oh, if he mentions Hillary Clinton, that's a definite. That's like a chug your drink, um, certainly. Um, uh, oh, uh, you know anything about Ill- illegal immigrants or MS13? Yeah, you have to drink for that. Uh, any if he if he ever uses his sort of um, childish uh, nicknames for people, you know, Pocahontas, Little Chuck, uh, you know, any any of those things.